You can see my award-winning climate comedy show spoilers at a festival near you, provided you live near or are going to McHuncliffe or Wells Comedy Festivals. More dates added soon near you, conceivably, who knows what might happen. And if you are at Mac, come and see ComCom Redacted live at 4pm on the Saturday. Go to stuartgoldsmith.com and click the very attractive banner image to find out more. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods, for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. And that's the new theme tune, genuinely, by, uh, courtesy of Robert Smouten uh, from the bands uh, Black Peaches and uh, Hot Chip and also Grovesner. Groves, Grosvener. It's the deliberately uh, antithetical spelling. Thank you so much to Rob Smouten for this fantastic music and the stings that you'll hear. Um, this is the, the official launch of the new music, which we've been working on kind of for the best part of a year, pinging things back and forth. So thank you, Rob Smouten, and uh, do go and check out Grosvenor. And uh, your basic bet, your best bet is Google Rob Smouten, because <laughs> it's very difficult, and it's not that easy to spell Smouten. Anyway, welcome to the show, uh, the New Look Comedians Comedian Podcast. I will roll out the new image at a, a later date, but uh, for now, I just wanted to get the music out there, so you can email me and tell me how much you love it. I love it. What I asked Rob for, ultimately, after lots of going back and forth, I said, what I want is a sort of mental heist, like the kind of music that would play during a heist of the mind with a bit of added anxiety. And I think he's done us all proud. So anyway, uh, on to the show. Today, this is Rose Matafeo. And there is, it's a very proud time in a podcaster's life when you can say, called it. And if you care to look in the Facebook group, you will see way back when, at the beginning of the festival, this is one of the first interviews uh, I recorded. And I said, holy hell, Matafeo's show this year is incredible. She might win something. Boom. She went on to win the uh, one of the most coveted prizes in comedy. I mean, it's no less imaginary for being coveted because there's no such thing as prizes or indeed an industry. But let's not take that away from Rose. Uh, she went home with the um, Edinburgh Comedy Award, the main prize. Her show was fantastic. We're going to discuss it and her in detail now. And I believe you've put up with enough chat from me. So uh, let's get stuck into this. This is the fabulous Rose Matafeo. How's the show going? Um, the show is going fine. Yeah, it's uh, it's really fun. It's it's a show that like, obviously I, I did it in Melbourne and New Zealand, but I always go to Melbourne with uh, what is definitely a work in progress. Like I do one preview of what it's going to be before I go to Melbourne, and then Melbourne is sort of this hellish month of rewriting every day. So you have no fun in Melbourne. You just work. I really. It's so hard because Melbourne is such an amazing place and all my friends are there and I get to do improv at the same time, you know, another show. But that, no, it is hell. Like, I, I, it's, it is, it's, it's so hard. <laughs> but, um, it's ultimately worth it because it means down the line, like now, I am far less stressed, I think, about, uh, the, like, the, the show. I think just, it's just, it takes so long to, I think, figure out what a show is about. So when you start months early, you get to go through all of that process of going. Oh yeah, it's not about what I actually set out. Yes, to write you get a show to about. already have worked that out by the time you buy it, the time you write yeah. your press release. That would be convenient. Well, wouldn't exactly, it? and it, and it, it's it's so it is it is an amazing month because I, mean, I think there's no better way of, of working a show than having to do it every day um, for for a month, basically, uh, like we do in Melbourne. But um, it is just a horribly stressful process because I think. It's um, it's for me. It's not only just like trying to rewrite stuff, but knowing what to cut and restructuring stuff, uh, which really takes time for me to relearn. And so, just every day was just um, yeah, every day is just like I was talking to my friend Guy, another Guy Montgomery, uh, who's another performer, friend of the show, friend of the show, and uh, and um, 
yeah, I think there's people who see, I think, every, op- like I say, every opportunity to perform as like an, another time to like redeem yourself. But for me, I always see it as an opportunity to fail. <laughs> He, see, he sees it as an opportunity to redeem himself. Well, you know, he didn't see an opportunity to redeem. He said that, like, he was like trying to pump me up. He was like, just you know, hear that crowd. They're all coming in for you, you know, and you, you feel like you know, they're all here. You feel like the shit. And for me, uh, my panic is, oh god, these people have paid to see me, yes. and what the what they're about to see is horrific. And and. Every day is like, oh my god, well I can fuck this up in the show or this yeah, up. Like the and, audience know. is half hateful. Yeah, than, yeah, okay, gotcha. It's just, I just expect the worst. I expect the worst of everyone, basically. <laughs> but um, but no. In answer to your question, Fringe is going fine so far. It's going. Yeah, I think it's going great. Yeah. Right. I so the night I saw your show, which was maybe Thursday or Friday last week. Mm-hmm. We nearly stood up. We nearly stood up. There was a frisson of like, are we, are we standing up? No, we're too cool to stand up. You get cool people in your audience. Oh, I yeah, nearly yeah. stood up. So it was fantastic. And it, and it seemed, like I saw your show, I don't know if it was the previous year or the one before. How many, was that your third um, one here or the second? third here last year. I, I saw yeah. Finally Dead. Yes, you did the funeral show. Last year? Or the year two before? years ago. Two years ago. Yeah. And I remember thinking, seeing that show, that you are like a quintuple threat. Like you have thrown every, you know, that, you know I think is it in, in, the, in the West End in acting, they're like, oh, you've got to be a triple threat. Yeah. You've got to dance, sing and play an instrument. And I was like, yeah, I don't know if you're playing an instrument, but you're dancing, singing, you're doing impressions, you've got visual stuff, you've got prop jokes, you've got one-liners, you've got big stories. You've got like, it, it, I felt like, holy fuck, you're machine gunning us with, I, I don't know, I don't, I don't mean to suggest that there's any desperation in that. It just felt like you're going, I've got an hour, yeah. I can do anything, I'm yeah. going to do everything. Yeah, I mean, I just think, well, I, I, I don't know. I, I think, for me, I, I always just, I, I think about the shows I like, I love seeing, because well, I'm obviously comedians start as comedy fans, and it's like, I think when you do start out, you always want to do the kind of comedy that you would want to see, I think. And and not to say that I'm doing comedy that, you know, like, I'm like, oh, yeah, this is amazing stuff. But but I just, I, it's so weird because it's so against my personality. I'm not a fun person, but weirdly in my shows, I'm like, I I like the idea of people having fun or just having, I guess, variety to, to, to what they're watching. Because I know an hour is such a long ask, you know, and I just don't have the um, confidence to... Um, I think it really is rooted in the actually not having the confidence to think, oh, I could talk, I could just tell stories for an hour, or I could just do this for an hour. Like, I very much like confidence to commit to one thing. So I feel like I put in heaps of staff to distract from the fact that, you know, it's not, I'm, I'm not, I'm not just what, yeah, I'm not just one thing. Like, I, I, I think... It's, I even find it hard to say that I do stand-up because I'm like, oh, I fucking do stupid impressions and, you know, sound things and dances. And so it's, uh, yeah, it all comes, I think it comes from a place of not being confident and well, I did, knowing I, style, I suppose. I did wonder whether this year's show, it seemed to me that this year's show was kind of more mature than the one I saw a couple of years ago, yeah. which is... Not only that would make sense chronologically, yeah. but you are also in your 20s. Yeah. I, I guess. Yeah. Are you? I'm, in, I'm 26 now. Okay. So I was 25, no, 24 when I first did the, fr- no, 23 originally did a double bill. Um, but no, yeah. no, I, And even more so the last year as well, I think. The only reason I bring up, yeah, I just wanted to sort of caveat, well, yeah. just to bring up your age. I suppose in your 20s. A year is a much longer time. Yeah. You, know, the, you know, the rate at which you are developing is far greater. Yeah, exactly. yeah, yeah, it's exponential, absolute, right? Uh, absolutely. It's like, yeah, I think so. I mean, I think it, it is a weird thing as well because, like, no, it is. And it seems it seems so angsty. Like, <laughs> you're like, oh, my God, you go through so much stuff in your 20s. But it is true. <laughs> you know, it's true. It's like, it, it, it's, it's a weird thing because also when you're also self-aware of the fact that people tell you and also when you do comedy and you hang out with a lot of people who are older than you naturally I think when you start out young you are constantly surrounded by people who are older than you who tell you oh you're oh yeah you this is what your 20s will be like or this is what you're th- oh you'll love it when you get to 30 and like so you're constantly kind of you know told how you're going to feel at certain points especially when you're doing comedy through your 20s and so it is funny tracking that and seeing that like also just with the doing shows like I think I think it's it's it, it, doing it year on as well I think it's so um, much easier to track how you're changing I think as a comedian and um, you can really notice it by putting I guess your hour long shows if you're doing them back to back side by side and just seeing mm. how how different they feel as well and like I mean I just did I was when uh, it was in um, 
uh, Montreal where I was doing material that I uh, was probably from the last two shows that I did. And it honest to God is like time traveling, doing material that you wrote to even just two years ago. It's like being, you're just a, a fundamentally a different person on stage. And so you have to like slip into this persona that you've grown out of in a way. Cause I mean, I'd say in the last three or four years I've changed. Uh, I'm not changed, but like just, just, I think I've, it's that weird bit where you figure out, Oh, that's what the audience sees. And that's what, that's because you never know, you're never aware of what you, I guess you describe as your style. And then I guess it kind of becomes a bit more clear where it's like, oh, oh, I get it. Oh, that's what people are finding funny. Because like for so many years, I'm like, I don't know why people are finding this funny. (laughs) That's great. The idea of who the audience sees. Let's just stick with that for a moment. Who do you think they see now? And who was it that you thought they saw before what were you offering before in an attempt to to find that richest scene I think that because I started so young that just genuinely quite young that I had no like my, my material was was had to be very broadly observational but like kind of I guess it was never rooted in any life experience because obviously I was like a teenager so I had no life experience whatsoever and it would just been embarrassing to see I've seen a teenager like braces me like what's it like being a teen guy but it's um it's so so I think it's um I used to have a really nervous energy to deal with that on stage so it was very like self-deprecating nervous kind of like um uh awkward on stage and then that kind of developed to something that was like I don't know what happened in recent years is that I think to combat nerves, because um, uh, I get really ner- I, I don't I, I get really nervous still performing. I don't feel like I'm not a person who like <laughs> it's like I feel live on stage. I'm always it's always a, it's a terrifying thing. So I think I c- combat that with um being more hyperactive than I ever am in real life. Like I'm not uh, an energetic high energy person in real life. And that's what fi- people, I think, mostly my friends and family find bizarre is that. That we walk stage, in and you're playing table tennis. One hundred percent, I feel like this this like like just absolutely wild like on on stage and I and I talk really fast and I scream basically and I'm so and I'm really loud and I'm not that kind of person in real life and um and I think that's to to, to deal with you know uh, I feel like getting nervous but I think people see that and get the wrong idea of what kind of person I am and uh, I get a lot of people who um who I get this real thing and I think a lot of girls do it as well I get get it I think when they do comedy of the of the um thing of like oh my god we're we should be best friends I was wondering about this you know your show last year was called sassy Sassy best Best friend Friend. yeah yeah yeah, okay so many girls be like no we we are no like we are totally like we we would be best friends in real life and I, I it's so hard to explain I'm like I have hardly any best friends in real life. You know, like I'm a very bad friend in real life, but I am friendly to audiences and to people who come to my shows. And it's a, uh, it's a funny, it's a really funny, it's a really it's, weird thing to be put like on you. You've got to say that you, it is not possible to be best friends with stage Rose Matafaya yeah. because she only exists for that hour and I, you can't talk to her. Totally, <laughs> I, I, completely, yeah. And it's like, and I and I love getting to, to talk to people before the shows and all of that stuff and. I think, but but it, it's so hard to figure out what your personality is off stage and like on stage, and if there is if there is any crossover there. And I think in that aspect, I don't think I am naturally a person who like uh, I guess is as friendly as that in real life. But I I I I, I don't know. It's it's an awkward thing when I just think though I think that is something that's imposed on I think sometimes women doing comedy because I think when especially if women is doing stand up that is very relatable or observational in a way that's very specific and I, I get I get that a lot of my material is very relatable all the time which is funny because everyone's material is like it's stand-up is you're trying to relate to an audience it's the whole thing what you're trying to do most mostly anyway but I just find that it's so funny the distinction when uh, I guess women do relatable material it morphs into um we that th- this is a friendship this is a relation it's that kind of a not an entitlement but like an assumption that that performer would be friends with you as well and i think 
I don't know. Do you find? Do you ever get anyone saying, "Stu, we'd be best for"? Well, oh my god, we well, think the same. Men things. don't talk to each other like that, in my experience, That's anyway. True. In That's my experience, true. but I do get. Um, I feel like probably the tones I play, I do think people think that they'd get on with me. And, they, yes. I'm, you know, and reviews will, when I used to read them, would refer yes, to yes. me as like, you can totally imagine him being your mate down the pub. Oh, so I, that's the boy one. The, that's yeah, the your, boy mate, one. your mate yes. down the pub. Down the pub, <laughs> not holding hands. We're not, nothing weird about it. Your mate down the pub in a safe environment yes. where blokes won't express feelings. Share a few beers yeah. and barbecue yeah, 100%. with this brother. Yeah. yeah. That's yeah, so yeah. funny. That's the male equivalent of, yeah, um, yeah, she yeah. wants, I, I want to be a best friend. Friend. Yeah, <laughs> isn't that funny? me again just a little reminder before we get back to the interview i'm interviewing all four of the ace podcast no such thing as a fish on the 16th of september at king's place as part of the london podcast festival go to at king's place on twitter uh, or search king's place london podcast festival on the google put it into the google and uh, on, or any other search engine of your choice if jeeves is still rocking along ask jeeves um, and you can find out this sunday night 9 30 p.m they're not cheap tickets but it's a completely palatial event and it's selling fast anyway so jump on that please and i'll see you there on sunday the 16th of september no such thing as a fish oh, i'm gonna break those guys up gotta make them cry break them up put them back together and break them up again so this is rose she's an absolute pleasure to talk to it's fantastic talking to someone who has who is who manages to be so experienced and yet aggravatingly young. I wonder if we'll see this more and more in comedy, the likes of Daniel Sloss and Rose and uh, other people who started when they were very, very young and are now making waves. I mean, Sloss has got his double Netflix specials dropping any day now. Look out for those uh, and go back and listen to the podcast I recorded with him a few years ago. Um, and Rose, and as you'll hear, the, the other people in her snort improv group in uh, in New Zealand, they are of an age now where they're really starting to make waves and affect, reflect and affect culture. I think Rose was tweeted at or publicly acknowledged by the Prime Minister of New Zealand. Um, and yet, so young, so annoyingly young. God, what was I doing when I was Rose's age? Well, street shows and, you know, diving around the place, happily getting on with stuff, being creative, but not really making waves in the way that she is. And And she's so kind of self-effacing about her ability and I hope in this uh, in this interview you can hear the kind of not steely but a, a sort of um you know she is at one and the same time very innocent and wide-eyed and excited about the world and at the same time I'm not saying she's got a plan but she's not she's not wasting any time. She's not hanging about. I think that's fair. So more on this, uh, more extra content with uh, Rose exclusively available to the Insiders Club. If you would like to join the hordes of people signing up at comedianscomedian.com slash insiders, then for a regular donation of £2 a month or even more if you fancy, but you get no extra stuff, uh, you get access to the private podcast. You do get extra stuff. My point is you don't get any more extra stuff if you pay a fiver than if you pay £2. It's there to reflect the kind of busking free to those who can afford it. Is that what I mean? It, it's to reflect the nature of the kind of donation thing. You can pay more, but you get no extra stuff beyond this extra stuff. The Extras podcast, all of the episodes of Comedy Critique thus far recorded, all of the You Interview Stews, uh, access to the Comedians Comedian Insiders Club workspace where you can chat with other super like-minded hyper nerds and um, and all of that stuff. So comedianscomedian.com slash insiders. There's a good 15 or 20 minute chunk with Rose uh, talking, getting further into detail on some of the things we talk about here. Um, so check all that out. Now, for once, I, I don't have my own tour or my own uh, uh, Edinburgh endeavours to advertise. And a good job, too. You can hear the state of my voice. I'm just absolutely wrecked. I came home from the festival immediately got ill <laughs> you know that's that unclenching that happens when you finish something to which you're deeply committed um and forging ahead so listen i, I will post amble at you about the state of me shortly but for now let's get back to rose matafeo ready to pop the question the jewelers at blue have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. 
Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Do you think that you're... Here's the thing I think about your your current show, Horn Dog, yeah. which some of which is about not to give too much away, but some of which is about sexuality yeah. and, and uh, lust, I suppose, horniness, yeah. that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, something I really noticed happening was men and women laughing at the way you had made a female experience of sexuality mm-hmm. completely relatable mm. to everyone in the room. Oh, that's sweet. Is that is that satisfying? Do you recognise that? That's really that? satisfying. Well, so you must see that in the in in people's reactions. There are some people who can talk about kind of uh, female sexuality in a way that gets the women on side, yes. such that in an audience, I'm kind of like I'm really noticing that the women are on side in a finally someone saying something for us. Yeah. Totally valid. I noticed in your show that it was almost like post that kind yeah. of thing because the, the environment was such that men and women were like yeah great you know uh, you know menstruation and the guys yeah, I'm on board yeah, yeah, I'm on board yeah, with that yeah. aspect of it you've made me get what that must be like I, I that's so that's so funny that's so nice to say because I mean because that's exactly I think the a progression a real clear progression from what I did last year with my show because last year's show was a lot it was all about basically personality and and when the, the kind of discovering your personality as like a young teen into your early 20s and feeling very confused about that stuff and how that intersected with uh, my birth control pill and having gone off it and how that can really affect, you know, when you're on the, the pill, something that's hormonally just changing you fundamentally in your body, how that messes with your idea of what your own personality is. And then you're like, yeah. who who am I in my early 20s if I'm taking a hormonal pill every day? And it was a very, very... That's so that a fucking you know. good point. I'm sorry I didn't see that yeah. show. That's no, fascinating. Yeah. It's, it's, um, it's, and it's, you know, it was really... It was like a really interesting time because I, I went off it. And um, and so, you know, at the end I talk about, you know... I just I just try and articulate how it feels to be on that. Like, I, one of my... One of the examples, and I always like, this joke is not working. But then uh, people... I think someone out the other day was like, that's exactly how it feels. It's like... It's like trying, it's like getting into, um, being on the pill is like getting into an Uber and you're on your way home and the driver starts taking a slightly different way home to where you usually go and you're like, this is kind of weird, but I'll trust them. And then they start going in the opposite direction to where you actually live and you're like, sorry, I actually live in the other direction. And then uh, the driver turns around and it's you. Um, and you know, and it's you, and you're like, what the fuck is going on? Because it's your own body fucking you over. And then like, I, and, and so many girls came up to me after that show being like, that this is exactly my either this is exactly my experience or more regrettably so I'm going off the pill tomorrow and I was like no don't do it I probably led to so many unwanted pregnancies at a festival this is the worst time but the best thing one one of the best ones was a guy who totally like oh he was toasted as well he was this tall Irish guy who came with his girlfriend and he was like I didn't fucking know that's what the pill did to you oh my god I gotta get my girlfriend off the pill as soon as I can and it was so sweet but I think. That show was specific, was really, re- I think, resonated with a lot of women in terms of their experience with the pill and that whole kind of aspect. But then I think this show, I think that that's what I always lost. I think I lost a lot of guys in, in that, and in, in specifically talking about birth control, all of that stuff. I think there were some guys who'd come and totally enjoy it completely, but. I think I fun. I really just got a lot more women in the crowds when I had a show called Sassy Best Friend. My sh- poster was pink, you know, and that was very much actually intentional. And in Melbourne, it saved me, I think, from crowds that would not enjoy it. And it was I. I didn't realise that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's... But a stag do was not going to come to a show called Sassy Best Friend. Sure thing. You know, and that actually, is a sweet little filter you've worked out. There. It was yeah. a really good filter <laughs> yeah. because then I would just have crowds of women. And you're like, oh, this is the dream. Like performing to a crowd which is more women women than men is like uh, is quite incredible. But that's exactly what I was like. You know, this year I, I I'm really I'm happy to find that kind of middle ground and that uh, not only a you know not only a not, not to say that men were never you know open to like hearing that kind of comedy, but I think it's uh, it's they're much more. Um, I don't know. I think. I like the idea. I think there was always that horrible thing that like people assume that like women, you know, when men and women go to comedy shows, you know, it's like 
especially if you're going on a, a date or something, it's like one of them's dragged them to it. You know what I mean? And like, women only laugh. Women don't laugh. Remember that weird myth? Women don't laugh. At, like, it was like a fucking urban legend. Women don't laugh at other women because they feel threatened by women when they make their boyfriends laugh. And it's like, who ever said that? And it's like, it, it kills me because it's so not true because I, I always, that's the thing, I always see women in groups laughing and I very rarely see men in groups laughing. You know what I mean? Like, and I think especially at a place like the Fringe, like they're the best crowds because they just get behind stuff all the time. But I'm I'm glad I'm glad men are enjoying it as well. I mean, you know, it's not it's not for them, but you know, <laughs> I haven't written it for them. But uh, yeah, it's, I'm glad they can enjoy it as well. Well, so you mentioned the the clique, the cohort of, mm. uh, of the Snort team in New Zealand. Yeah. Do you have you fallen into a similar but different? Is there any kind of clique that you're a part of? Is there a scene that you're a part of in the UK? Uh not particularly. No. I mean, I I uh, only through that like. I ca- when I came here, I was lucky enough to, like, I had a very rare kind of experience in that when I moved here, I knew so many people on the scene because they were the ones who were brought out to New Zealand to do the New Zealand Comedy Festival. So I already had such an amazing, I guess, um, I, not like in, but like, you know, I was friends with so many people who then I came to England and was like, oh, yeah, they're actually more famous than I thought. That. Like, they're actually, <laughs> they're actually doing better than I, I thought. Oh, okay. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, there's tons of people like that. I mean, even like Josie and David and stuff. Like, I met when I was 16. I've, I've known them since I was six, like 16. And then, like, realizing, like, oh, they're like legit. Like, oh, yeah, they're very popular and amazing and successful when you come to a. Uh, the UK but I think I just maybe naturally found myself I mean you as well because I mean we met in New Zealand and people like Nish and people like you know it it was just a I mean I I moved here and moved in with Nish so it was um actually yeah I replaced you yeah you actually replaced me I replaced you maybe it was you that egged Richard Herring yeah the dates don't add up did someone egg Richard Herring yeah 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 We'll go to that another time. He Good. accused me and Nick because I had those uh, houses back onto each other. They those, do, they yeah, do. I those. always tried to see Richard Herring, but I never, I never saw him. <laughs> I was like, which house is his? But yeah, but obviously that meant that I was kind of yeah already um, part of a group of you know stand-ups here. But. And t- to what extent are you following any kind of a plan? Like I know, I know that one mm. of the things it, that a, a Kiwi comic. One of the rites of passage is yeah. go to the UK, gig yeah. every night, three times a night yeah. in London for four years, then go back and get famous. That's yeah. like, you know, that's a kind of, that's a route. Uh, yeah, well, I think, no, I, I, it's so hard because I feel like I have like plans, but my plans are like weird, like, dr- like I'm like, well, you know, we've got to get the, to the Oscars by 2050 or something like that. You know, like something like weird like that. I have no, I often don't have year to year plans because... I often just structure my years around doing these festivals, you know, it's like Edinburgh as a goal and, and, you know, doing another show in Melbourne as a goal or, you know, being able to, but I'm never like, Oh, I'm going to get my own TV show. I'm going to do this. I think, um, when I first moved here, I was a bit like, when I first moved to the UK, I was very, I felt very like, what the fuck am I doing? I've moved, I've left a job in New Zealand where I was earning money, doing comedy on Mm. television. Mm. Very, very stable, you know, income. I've I moved here, spent all my savings to just go, okay, well, I'm just going to live here for a year, live off savings, see if I can do enough gigs. Um, but then that's the thing with me. I'm like, I'm not the kind of comedian who's like, I want to get up every night, you know, I can only do comedy if I get up every night and do my stuff. Like, I just don't even like gigging. Like, I really don't. I don't, I'm not like craving gigging. Like, I don't, I am very much a person who, would rather, you know, make something perfect and do a gig and and do it perfectly rather than, I never can work stuff out on stage. I'm not like a person like that. I don't, because I hate failing and I hate doing bad. So, and I, I think the negative, like the downsides, the amount of like, that it kills me to fail on stage outweighs being able to work through it. I think I'm really hard on myself. Not a clown then. Yeah, no, not a clown at all. It's, I'm hard on myself to the point of just like, it's getting ridiculous. I'm, I'm becoming aware of how ridiculous it is getting and that it's hindering me from getting better sometimes. Can you give um, me a, a more concrete example of that for, just the, like, for the people listening who are also battering themselves? Yeah, just like, I mean, every, I could tell you everything, every single thing I fucked up yesterday in my show, you know? I could, and 
and part of me, what what's the problem with stand up is that because it is a completely solitary, well, oftentimes solitary thing, you know, you're constantly having to improve by being incredibly critical of yourself and sometimes being able to step outside yourself and going, that shit, that doesn't work. But when you're doing that, do you, it's not like it's not it's not a relationship of a <clears throat> director and a performer. It's yourself saying, "Yeah, that was shit. You did shit there," and you're being like, "Don't say that to me. It's hurts." And you're like, mm. "No, no, no. This is how you're gonna get better." And it's such a horrible li- like line to kind of. It's such a horrible thing to negotiate of of being kind to yourself enough to, to have the confidence to get on stage and do comedy, but also better yourself by expecting more of yourself as a performer and really can get muddy I think because they're obviously completely linked but it's it's um yeah I think if the balance kind of gets out of you know if it gets out of balance it it, it can be um really just shit on your you know on just your mental health and I know that it's that funny thing of when you know when you rationalize it as a when you perform and you're like I'm only performing for an hour a day like what? Is, what? Is, why am I so tired? Why do I feel like shit? Why am I so unhappy? And it's like, it's so hard to quantify how much it takes up of your energy and your time and your brain throughout the rest of your day. I guess when you do it. So it's um, yeah. But I don't even know what we we're originally talking about. Um, what were we talking about? Um, oh yes, a plan. Plan. My plan was to do stand up for a year, live off savings. I was really lucky enough to like find uh management who just the bit like you know the best and really supportive of me staying in the uk and was really invested in keeping me here um what i found is that as soon as i things started going well in england the way way more opportunities came up in new zealand okay you know there's that weird thing though i think about new zealand is like there's this cultural cringe around comedy in new zealand where people just don't they just almost like the general public just like almost hate comedians for the very fact that they think they can do comedy. Yeah. It's horrible, horribly shit thing. It's not a cool thing. I think it's a, yeah. I talked to Di Henwood about this, about how he, he in particular was sort of known as being like the loose Kiwi comic. Yeah. And the amount of liberties that people take with his personal space and oh with his personal God. freedom just when he's in the street. Diane was a very famous comic in, yeah. the, in, in New Zealand. New Zealand, yeah. That, and people, there is that kind of that tall poppy thing. People oh, see you totally. as a success. They want to cut you down. Completely. And there, and, and it's and it's there's no love for, I mean, I even, I know that it's something that, you know, is, is really being passed down from our, the culture, I, I guess, of, of British culture of that being quite modest or being, you know, not being quite self-effacing or whatever. Yeah, it's like you're not being modest enough. Yeah, exactly. But I think it's morphed into something different, quite more like aggressive in New Zealand because I think still here you've got comedy fans and you've got pride in in British comedy a lot of the time. You know, and I think you've got a lot of pride in that and a lot of genuine people and who aren't um, ashamed or, you know, embarrassed to say that they're fans of British comedy. And then in New Zealand you have this really horrible kind of freaking colonial hangover thing of like oh i love british comedy not new zealand comedy you know this really doing yourself down kind of attitude and um do you get so much oh my god never read comments on a on an article about you doing comedy in new zealand it is a mind fuck it is just every form of like horribly deeply entrenched kind of like you know, self, self kind of deprecation that you can, you can, you can find. So I found, I, you're I actually you know, just for the, because there's no one here to see this. You're, you're having a kind of a physical I, reaction. That sounds fucking so, horrible when you're, yeah. when you're young and oh. artistically vulnerable, no matter what age you are, but presumably yeah. worse when you're young and you're on TV since your early twenties. Oh yeah. I did. And I did um, music television when I was in my early twenties where I, there was a mechanism. It was a live television show, but all of the comments came through live where we had to moderate them on, on air. So I have since the age of 19 had to read and field every type of comment of like about you and how you're not funny and how you, and it's, it's just so bizarre. Like, cause New Zealand's so small. It's like, it's just your shit and yeah, I went to school with exactly, you probably that but what I think the physical reaction is that like it just infuriates me it fucks me off so much because it's the exact like, it's like the flight of the concords example it's like they had to go overseas and, and, and achieve amazing international success doing the exact same thing that we're doing in New Zealand at pop comedy days back in, he's been they've been doing it for years but as soon as it was validated by 
oh, the higher ups in some other country in America or England, um, New Zealand are like, oh yeah, no, we love you now. And it's just that lack of confidence in just genuinely supporting. And it's just so specific to comedy as well as an, as you know, as a perform, like a, as a, not an art form, but I guess just, you know, as a, as a thing that it guts me because I think, but per capita, New Zealand produces some of the most like amazingly original, wonderful comedy. And it's just kind of like not appreciated in, in that, in the country. And, um, I just think it's such a horrible shit, toxic thing that, um, that we need to get over, I think, as a country, I suppose. But, um... Does the experience of being 19 and, and fielding negative comments online live as part of a show where you're trying to be funny, Yeah. is there anything good about that? Is there anything that it <laughs> teaches you? Is there anything that trains you? Is it like, you know, you think of Thai kickboxers, they kick a tree until yeah. their shins are bleeding and then their shins are invulnerable. Is, is there anything good about it or is it just fucking horrible? It's... It's fucking horrible, but also it is, like, it does teach you that, like, not only that, like, so, you know, it's the same with reviews, you know, like, you know, you can say, like, don't read reviews, you know, because reviews are shit, and people, and don't read comments about you, because people are mean and stuff, and obviously, also, that whole, like, thing of, like, you don't know what's going on the other side of that comment, and these people are truly, oftentimes, quite pathetic, that's what I learned definitely doing it when I was younger. But I think more so what I learned and what I can apply to comedy is that not everyone has to like, like it's a horrible thing because comedy is kind of, you know, very transparently you just going on stage being like, please like what I'm doing right now. I just want you to like me. I mean, maybe that's just me personally in my style. I don't, I don't think it's just you, but I yeah. think there are people, people who, who, are don't, like, who don't do that. Totally. I think you're one of the people who, who, you, who at the moment is like that. Although, who do you think uh, don't do not do that? Because even if someone comes out and is an unlikable stage persona or is saying, you know, being outspoken or telling it like it is, ultimately, I don't think... I think the very medium of standing up on a stage and saying and talking at people, that you want people to validate something in, in a way yeah. that you're yeah. like, I want you to like me, yeah. I want you to like what I'm saying. So where do you, in, in terms, though, of your your persona on stage, given uh, that this show has some very deft and very specific bells and whistles, mm-hmm. but it's a lot of good chunks of good stand-up, mm-hmm. which are, there we go, this, mm-hmm. isn't, this isn't you going, hey, but whatever, whatever, you know, I've got to do everything. Do you see that continuing? Do you imagine mm-hmm. that, who do you imagine you will be in five years' time, in mm-hmm. ten years' time? I know it's an impossible question, but, like, yes. what, what, what are you drawn towards? What aspects of yourself are you drawn towards pursuing? Yeah. Well, that's a funny thing you God, say. God, that was a pretentious question. No, 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 it wasn't. It. <laughs> I mean, I, 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 uh, am I pretentious for not thinking it's pretentious? <laughs> <laughs> I am. Um, that's the thing I've been really, I think, most insecure about this show because, obviously, every show you do, you want it to be better. But, obviously, it has to be different as well. And then you have to take risks in certain ways to change it. And so that means maybe, you know, getting rid of stuff you did the, the year before or trying something new. And I think this year I've been incredibly insecure in the fact that I think I was so stoked because people seemed to like the show last year. But this year I feel like I've got way more – I think I've – personally become a better uh, j- just joke writer for myself like I've, I've got better at writing material for myself and I'm happier with the material and that I'm like oh I feel like this I'm getting better at writing material but that means there's a lot less kind of bells and whistles stuff there's actually a lot less than last year last year had lots more you know sound elements and and you know impressions and stupid shit that were like I think in a show like exciting and stuff and this one's kind of got more, you know, packed more, more material, but with more of a through line as well. And um, I think what I'm finding is I'm really happy because I think doing the show here, I'm just I'm just more confident in doing the show and having fun on stage and doing material, which I can, I guess, um, stand by. And for me, actually purely from a, from a I guess, maybe selfish point of view, um, and you might feel, feel this as well. When you're doing an Edinburgh Fringe show, you're writing it for the Fringe and you're writing it for a particular context, obviously. But the show, I'm like, oh, there is so much more material in this I can take out for what I do in the rest of the year, mm-hmm. which are spot, 15-minute spots. So mm-hmm. you do club gigs or you do TVs. And there's so much more material that can be standalone. And I'm like, 
that's really helpful for me. Was that a decision or a discovery? It was a discovery, I think, because I think I was just like, maybe because last year I was like, fuck, some of these things are quite bitsy and, um, and quite hard to do in isolation. So I think in this one, I feel like I've got, you know, certain routines where I'm like, oh, I can do that. And it's the first time I've ever done that because I write very, very short jokes, I feel. And the more I do it, the longer they kind of get because the more confident I feel in, you know, extrapolating them. But, um, but I think I want to continue down that route of just like, I don't know, as I get older, I think my persona is getting more confident in saying things on stage and like with, a, not authority, but like just feeling like people should listen. I feel like I That's feel, authority. Yeah, authority. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> authority. Oh, shit. The psychopath. But you know, like that thing of like, I think often on stage, sometimes you'll be like talking, you'll be midway through a joke and you're like, why the fuck are these people listening to what I, I don't know anything. I don't know anything, but I'm saying stuff that I'm trying to make observations that I'm just like making hot takes essentially. But I think being more confident in just what your point of view is and what your persona is, I think that's something that excites me because I think, I guess that's, and maybe that's something bad, but it's just, um, I feel like in, yeah. In, five, in, in another five years, I think I'll just be a bit more confident with um, who I am on stage. But hopefully also just doing maybe something completely different, I think. Talk to me yeah. about hot takes. I think that's a really interesting <laughs> asset of, uh, facet rather of what you do. Yeah. It's very relevant. It's oh, really? part of an ongoing conversation. Yeah. Do, do you think of... Do you think there are bits in your show that are cooler takes? <laughs> do you know what I mean? That are like, oh, well, no. this is... This is, this is uh, uh, relatable but not relevant whereas this one yeah that's yeah. we're all talking about that right now well that's the thing is like I, that's a really interesting thing though i think and i talk about a lot with my friends about it is that there is a real thin fine line between um sometimes i guess in stand-up like uh something that's relatable and and off the moment but then also quite zeitgeisty so mm. then you find things where people are doing material about stuff that is very like of the moment, but then you're like, oh yeah, and did you make a joke about it? No. But because you're pushing these buttons and you're like, this, 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 and you're pressing these buttons and you're saying specific trigger triggering words and stuff, it's like people react to it. And um, I mean, I think obviously like it's been such a, a, an interesting year for this year, I guess, with all of the um, Me Too stuff, I think, because it's, um, I think for me, I'm like, I, I get it. I'm not annoyed, but I think everyone should be talking about it and, and in their own way. And I think I find it so interesting to see everyone's take on it. I am sick of seeing more men do stuff about it than women. <laughs> I think women should get first dibs on it. <laughs> that's what I, that's my opinion is that this friend, women should get first dibs on any me too routine because you know, come on. I don't want to, I don't want to hear, I don't want to hear too many more men complain about how, hard it's been on them as a good guy I, I see uh, you I know, see, you, I know see. you know I, that's see, the thing. Sure. You know, I, I think but if you can find something genuinely funny and I think it's funny but but it is it's again like that thing that is a thing that's very of the moment but and if you can find that funny angle on it it's very good but if you don't then I guess it's just becoming more it becomes more of like a TED talk rather than I suppose stand up so that's why I'm very aware of like I don't want to be um I don't I, I wouldn't I would hate to be kind of like a uh Casts this like you know woke millennial stand up you know like talking about talking about the issues because I think you know you you hope that your comedy has has enough observational timeless kind of quality to it that exists beyond you know the time you're you're doing it in really that's, but I mean, maybe that's just yeah, a yeah, wanky no, thing to say no i think i agree with that i was gonna say i mean you are kind of a woke millennial talking about <laughs> zeitgeisty things you you are you know that's you you have a social tough. you have a social conscience you are you are I try you're to, relevant I you try are to a millennial that a bit though in terms of i do i have well, the worst but, take of it you know like i'm saying i go really hard and horn dog about like how i'm i have I've got so many problems with like, I'm, I'm a fucking floozy when it comes to dudes. Like, you know what I mean? Like I, I, I can say that I believe all this stuff and these are all my principles as a person who's like a feminist and all this stuff. But then there's all the stuff that I do that contradicts that because I'm not, I'm just a, a person who's just navigating through a very like 
interesting and kind of it's sometimes hard world. But I think that's what I like seeing in other people is that you want to see someone who's like, I guess, vulnerable in that you don't know. Like, yeah, you absolutely. Know. And I think yeah. that's the bit that makes it timeless, that yeah. lets it out of just being a woke millennial. There are enough shows here which are people yeah. showing their credentials, yeah. trying to press the buttons. But you have a really, um, a really kind of personal and vivid and specific an honest take on it's like here's you you are mm. you are sufficiently uh uh skilled as a comic to go yeah. here's the material here's the stuff we're all thinking yeah. and here's what i'm thinking and how i relate to it and how that fits into the stuff we've established yeah. and i think it's that stuff that feels i mean maybe it won't be maybe very little comedy is really timeless even you know you want to yeah. go back and look at the greats from True. the last 20 or 30 years True. you know there is still stuff where you're going to go Oh yeah, we were all reacting to mobile phones, you know, yeah. or whatever. But think, but it does have an archetypal quality to it, where we go, yeah. this is not simply someone saying, "We should all be like this." Yeah, you know, it's a it's a personal reaction. But isn't that funny? I mean, I, that's why I find really difficult, and I think that's the thing. I find it difficult when like people like you know go, "This is who I am. I'm a feminist. I'm I'm I'm, I'm a woke millennial." Benefit from that kind of you know, rhetoric of like do, talking about those issues and then perhaps don't walk the walk in other ways. And one problem I've had really recently is that I feel really a real responsibility. Uh, I think a lot of, you know, people who do stand up for a living have as well as doing shows like I'm, so I'm doing a show and this is an interesting thing to talk about really briefly is that like, um, uh, I talk so much about sexuality and like female, you know, male, I, male and female boys and girls and all of these very, like, very binary ways. because uh, and then, Yeah, right. Yeah, and so I've kind of been trying to rewrite things to be more um, open to, like, the, uh, to the fact that that is, like... But this is the very difficult thing with comedy, and it's something that's really interesting to navigate, and, like, it's actually quite a, an exciting thing to a challenge as well sometimes, is that you're making observational comedy... Comedy is about generalization so much of the time because you're trying to talk to a, like, a, a big group of people and relate to as many of them as you can in one second. So you make wild calls, you make hot takes, as I say, to get a point across. But when you try and bring in this idea, it's like, well, I'm not speaking to everyone here and I'm using language specifically that is not inclusive. And so that's been like the probably the most, uh, the biggest you know, thing for me, I'm like, if I'm, you know, if you're, if you feel like you're a woke millennial talking about all this stuff, these issues, then also you got to try and at least, you know, walk the walk and like, actually the way, and having the platform to do that, like, I guess specific examples of like trying to like say, you know, not most people or saying masculine or feminine or like, you know, I think just even wording, slightly wording jokes, slightly different, like there's a stupid joke in my show of like, Cunt is a word for something that most uh, a woman often have, but men have affected the art of actually being them. And it's like it was the difference between saying weirdly like cunt is a woman for something women have, mm-hmm. or off or putting often in there mm-hmm. because not all women have that, or mm-hmm. or saying like bo- female sexuality is different to boy sexuality. It's more straightforward when you have when you have a thing, and it's rather than saying. A boy has a, a a dick and a girl mm. doesn't, and so it's all of those ways where you're like, "Fuck, this is a hard new era." Particularly to go into. given the requirements of word economy. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're That's fighting against yourself to be inclusive at the expense yeah. of the sting of a joke. Completely. And I was talking to Eli Matheson about this, another comedian from New Zealand, and <clears throat> and you know we're we're all trying to do that, but. There is nothing more boring than hearing someone say, oh, and a white cis man. Like, there's nothing yeah. more boner-killing, right? <laughs> and it's like, then to hear someone, like, you know, say that, exactly the word economy of that, because then it brings in whole, it distracts from what you're actually trying to say. So it's... um That is yeah. interesting. Very few people, like the cliched comedian thing men are like this women are like this mm. uh, trans people I can't speak to the yeah, experience yeah. of trans people exactly. and it's like yep you can't and is that yeah. a I mean that oh, does that put you in the position that a white man be in where he wants to talk about me too but doesn't want to be just another exactly yeah. exactly and so that I was thinking about that and also like you know 
it's like I'm also I I think it's just being aware of who you are on stage, where you're coming from, and are you speaking from a personal if you're speaking truthfully from your personal experience as being whatever you are, I think that is 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 fine. And it's 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 when you're it's when you get into the I guess you know, observations or hot takey kind of stuff about other people where you kind of have to, I guess, think more about that. And I'm so aware that it's such a journey to be on, uh, trying to improve yourself in that regard. And I mean, it's even like, you know, calling, it's, it's those blind spots of like, especially doing comedy as a woman. It's like, you know, I think there's such a focus on supporting women and, and, and comedy and all this stuff. But then there's also, there's so many other facets to that. It's like, that's, Often, often I see lists in, in the festival. It's like, these are the top women that you should see at this event. All of them white. All of them white. Mm. And like I'm, I think I was on one. I'm fucking half white. I'm basically fully white. <laughs> I mean, like, and it's like, I think there are so many blind spots to that stuff that, um, uh, you know, the, that kind of inclusivity stuff of, of, of it that um, I think I just, I think it never, it never hurts to just be aware of it. And I think... There can be real strong reactions to that stuff, and I know, especially in comedy. But I think if your heart's in a good place and you're just trying, I think there's nothing wrong with that, I suppose. I don't know. It's just a... But also it's that that thing of, like, not jumping on people when they fuck up. That's what I don't like either. It's like... And I think comedians in, in comedy can do that. You know, when someone fucks up, it's like, fuck you, how dare you? But not give them the benefit of the doubt that they're, like, working through, you know. Comedians jump on another comedian, you mean? Yeah, I think so. Because comedians are bitchy, right? Comedians are absolute bitches. Everyone loves each other, but also, like, yeah. I mean, this festival's mad. (laughs) For bitching? Not bitching, but just people going a bit loopy. I mean, I, 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 I do as well, but it's just such a weird... It's obviously when you put, like, this that many comedians in such a small city doing shows in the same places. Everyone just goes a bit like... What <laughs> What things do you want to learn to be a better comedian? Um, learn to be a better comedian. I think uh, I'd like to be more just confident in my ability to do it. Like even when I go to write jokes sometimes, I've come up in a... I've been... I've written jokes. I've been a joke, like comedy writer for other people so much that sometimes I forget what I find funny, truly, and I'll write a joke that I'll do because I know it'll get a laugh, but I don't find, I'm not one who's like, if I saw that, I wouldn't laugh at that, Mm -hmm. you know? And that makes me feel shit because it makes me feel like I am losing any tiny bit of originality I feel like I have as 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 a person, as a comedian. So I'd like to be able to write material that I feel like I could stand by. What's the, what's the secret of writing jokes for some, someone else? Um, what's the secret? Oh, God. I think just jokes. I mean, just learning joke structure is like, I see it as paint paint my numbers sometimes. You know what I mean? Depending on what it is. I find that in my own show as well. I'll, I'll find like lines where I'm like, okay, well, for this to work, I just need to find two different things that are kind of similar, but don't go together. And then just try and find every combination of that. And I think improv is a really amazing um, technique to, to have developed to be able to do that and to work a lot in writers rooms with other people writing for other people you get so good at not being precious precious with ideas like I did a sketch show for three series in New Zealand and learning not to be precious with ideas is so it is such an improv thing and it's such a sketch writing thing and I think it's such a helpful thing of going nothing is so good that you know you shouldn't just cut it from the show if it's not getting a laugh and I think that's something that I really um I really have appreciated from what, you know, the work I've done is that like, it means that, you know, just being like ruthless with your own yourself being like, fuck you. This isn't working. Cut that shit. But, um, as a comedian, I think maybe I need to go the other way and kind of believe and believe in some stuff more. And yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I still don't think I have a particular persona on stage. I think what I, I'd like to, ch- I'd like to change my persona <laughs> to something maybe more true of myself, but I don't know. What? 
what risks would that involve? What what's at stake? I think there? it would. What's at stake is is um, a lot more silence on stage. I talk with Reese Nicholson about this a lot because Reese is a person like me who started young. Our shows are dense. I think really dense with if there's not a punchline every like twenty sec- ten seconds even we feel utter shame on stage because any moment of silence is like is is horrible on stage and i think that's something that i, I would love to maybe get more confident in is, is being able to sit in silence and believe that a room would go with me on that you know so yeah but sit on a stool sit on a stool yeah sit on a stool and have no laughs for three minutes you cope with it and then say something really good but how do people do that like i feel like um i was listening to something the french like french comedians do that a lot you know they 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 tell a story and then they'll they'll do a punchline and everyone will be like but i just can't i have no stories to tell and i don't have the confidence to tell them either but yeah. Are you happy? Am I happy? <laughs> am I happy? I'm actually, you know what? No joke. I am. I'm happy. Isn't that crazy? <laughs> I'm happy. It's great. It's very good. I'm happy because I think, I think I'm surrounded by people and performers who are like, excite me so much. And I'm just like excited to do stuff with really cool, creative, talented people. And also, I just sometimes I'm like, I sit in my bedroom and, 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 and lo- like I live in London and I've got like a five-year visa now to live in London. And I sit in my room with all my stuff and go like, I, I, and it sounds so cheesy, but just to sit there and go, this is amazing because this is like a room of stuff that I bought for myself and I've never, ever... I've only ever, you know, since I was 18, I've made, never, never got money from anything else, like apart from doing comedy and being just like cool and like stoked and proud to like have built a weird life on the other side of the world purely by doing comedy and being like, that's fucking awesome. Like, how lucky am I to do that? Um, and that's so weirdly positive for a person who's such a miserable dick most of the time. But I think I've found myself just going, this is cool. I live in London. I'm 26. I'm so lucky I get to do comedy. It's going to fall apart in four years, but I'll enjoy this moment. So, yeah, I am, I am happy. It's good. Thanks, for <laughs> I talk too much. I hate it. So that was Rose. All of the extra material available, of course, at comedianscomedian.com slash insiders. If you'd like to sign up for there and get hold of the private podcast and uh, join the hordes, the legions of uh, absolute legends who are signing up to that, then please feel free. Um, Thank you very much to Rose. Uh, Thanks to the Cameo Cinema and Corinne, who helped us sort out some recording space there. Do visit the Cameo Cinema if you're in Edinburgh. It's a lovely little cinema, little indie place in Tollcross, which I highly recommend. I saw... What did I see there? I think I saw The Guard a few years ago at the end of the festival. You know, the, um, what's his name? Brendan Gleeson. God damn it, that's a good film. Anyway, great cinema. The cameo, go and check that out. Thank you to Nathan Wood for editing and producing the show. Thank you to Peter Dobbing, the pod consultant. Um, and I will post Amble at you in a kind of Edinburgh debrief way in my own exhausted fashion shortly. But for now, that concludes the show. Speak to you soon. What to say on the subject of Edinburgh? I'm not one of these ones who goes in for a great big Facebook post in which you individually tag and thank everyone. That's fine, isn't it? I'm just slightly over the curve on that particular use of of social media. I'm not quite within that catchment. I did find myself thinking, yeah, but you could equally say, yeah, I'm not the sort of person that thanks people. (laughs) And I did thank everyone involved, but I just... You know, there's something there's something a bit much about the, um, the the Edinburgh experience on Facebook, particularly when you're as friends with as many comedians uh, and open mic comedians as I am. There's an awful lot of guys. What a festival it's been. Having said that, I am going to do pretty much that exactly here, but at least I don't have to tag people, <laughs> so I'm not pestering them. I would like to express my gratitude to everyone that came along to the to the the Edinburgh show. It was tough this year. It was a tough year. 
The wife is heavily pregnant. The boy is an opinionated two-year-old and obviously often doesn't want um, shepherded around the place in as easy a fashion as he once was. I'm not going to look you in the eye and uh, tell you I'm not completely broken and ruined. And of course, in previous years, we're not, um, let's not use the word encumbered, we're not blessed with a child. Um, what happens is you finish Edinburgh and then you just go and do nothing. Maybe you go to a beach somewhere. Maybe you go on holiday. Even if you have a staycation, you actually sit around in your pants doing nothing. Of course, family life very different these days. So what I've done is come back, not sleep very well, <laughs> get up, get up early, look after the boy, try and continue to mentally stimulate him and have uh, fun with him and give him a great life. And what I've done is become ill and tired. And earlier today, I'm recording this on Friday, the Friday after the festival. Earlier today, I went, oh, God, that thing happens when you sort of stop after something intense and you get ill. My voice is cracked. I'm shattered. This is so much to ask to just have 10 hours sleep and no responsibilities. Because I had the opportunity for that uh, when uh, my wife and the Boutros flew home on the final Friday. And I squandered that opportunity in favour of going out drinking and pretending to be 25. Or rather, going out drinking and mostly hanging out with people in their 20s and 30s and mostly boring them by <laughs> spending all my time drunkenly complaining about how tired I am. What a fun guy I am these days. If you were one of those people that I uh, blethered at, uh, then uh, many apologies and thank you. <laughs> Thanks for everything. Sorry for everything. Is there anything else to say at the end of a festival? It was physically strenuous. It was physically demanding. Um, it was a big old room this year. And thank you to everyone who came. We did fill it once or twice, um, but it I think it was probably slightly too cavernous. You know, I, I didn't get the early. I think last year I'd got early reviews that then kind of caught fire and everyone rammed into quite a small room. And we did the classic. Oh, I've sold out a small room. You've got a queue for hours. I mean, that's what everyone's doing. Uh, at the, you know, if you look at the sold out board at the Pleasance or the Gilded, Charlie Baker pointed this out to me. He says every time, you know, we're kind of wise to the tactical element of it. He said every time I see a bunch of uh, names repeatedly on the sold out board, I just think get a bigger room, mate. I mean, that's a hell of a point, isn't it? Just get a better room. Stop trying to artificially sell out by um, by having too small a room that you then necessarily fill. Not that everyone's doing that, but there are certain big TV people who are absolutely doing that. And hey. I benefited from that for the last two years and I, I hope to benefit it from again. I don't think I'm telling tales out of school. But that look, between you, me and the, uh, the the comedy fandom, that's how it works. And I didn't do that this year and it was a struggle. <laughs> There's something about turning up in a little room with people hanging off the walls that's so exciting. And that just isn't there when exactly the same number of people are in a room twice the size. Everyone's like, oh... Well, he hasn't sold very many. <laughs> you go, no, no, I'm still the same guy. I just, I'm not cloaked in the um, the quasi-visible glittering armour of exclusivity. Well, next time I hope to pick that armour up again. Um, I said, almost said next year there. I think I did say next year. But I think the plan is still to take next year off. You can hear how exhausted I am. And this is sort of a cumulative five years worth of this. Nonetheless, a huge amount of fun was had. The show was the best. I didn't get those uh, those early reviews. I got a few in towards the end. Um, but the main reviews <laughs> looks to camera. Are you the audience? Well, they are. But the main the main main reviews are when comedians come and see you or people who've seen me or, or, or fans who've seen me like four or five times and say best one yet. Ah, thanks. It was. It really was. Oh, my best mate came to see me. And afterwards he said, um, yeah, you've really, you've really sort of stepped up a gear. Something was different. And I'm like, yeah, I know. It's like I found my thing right. And he went, yeah, that's my review. Um, thank you for coming, everyone that did. Thanks to Jet and Rebecca and Hannah and everyone at my management who looked after me. Thanks to the excellent Misha McCullough for stepping in last minute as my replacement tech and godparent uh, during the show. Misha did great. And um, thanks to everyone at the Liquid Rooms, Miroslava in particular at the uh, the Free Fringe. Thanks to Cami and Angus and everyone else and John, everyone else at the venue and um, everyone at the PBH Free Fringe that made it possible. I always meant to say on the last show and I completely forgot the show. Spoiler alert, the show ends with me in darkness on my knees screaming. At least I've tried. Little spoiler there for the tour. Um, uh, it's good. Good moment. Solid moment. Because of that, I forgot to say what I wanted to say at the end of 
the show after five hours on the trot. Five years writing, creating a new hour. And of course, to write an hour, you've got to write two hours and trim it back. I'm not going to do that next year. I may be at Edinburgh in some capacity for a few days, doing new material for a week, something like that. Who knows? But I am not writing a new hour from scratch starting now. That is not happening. And what I always wanted to say at the final show before that became the case, I wanted to do that thing that bands do on the final night of their tour. You can hear on them when they record the live album and they go, OK, thanks, everybody. You've been great. We're going to go back into the studio now and we'll see you soon, I guess. I meant to say some version of that on stage. I've been saying it out loud now. I'm pretty glad I didn't. But I'm saying it to you. I'm, there's still more pods coming your way. Holy shit, we've got 12 scorches in the can. Plus, plus, oh my God, I nearly didn't mention No Such Thing as a Fish, the live one at King's Place on the 16th of September, 9.30pm. I'm interviewing all four of No Such Thing as a Fish. It's going to be enormous. It's nearly sold out, so jump on there. Um, I am still, I've got loads of pods for you. Loads of stuff coming up. But... I'm going to go back into the studio now <laughs> and I'm going to have a second child and I'm going to not write any new jokes for a bit. I think I've said what I came here to say. It's time for a little rest. More gigs coming soon. Comedianscomedian.com for all your information and uh, hopefully some interesting pod things happening soon as well. We'll have to see about that. Bye for now. I mean, I will. I'll be back next week. But for now, bye for now. Bye for now.